a diamond is forever. This phrase, coined in, in 1947, is the centerpiece of, of what many consider to be the most successful advertising campaign in modern history. And it was named slogan of the century by advertising age. Now, understand that in, in the mid-1930s, during the Great Depression, the demand for diamonds was, was at an all-time low. And the De Beers Group, a name now synonymous with diamonds, sought to create the need or, or the desire for diamonds within the culture. And while wedding rings have been used for centuries, the, the diamond wedding ring, it's a 20th century phenomenon. And as the story goes, Francis Garrity, a copywriter for the advertising company that was hired by De Beers, she was working against a deadline. And at 5 a.m. in the morning, tired and desperate, she wrote out those four words. A diamond is forever. Unsure if it was even grammatically correct, she offered it up, and they went with it. That was in 1947. By 1951, according to De Beers, eight out of ten brides were receiving diamond engagement rings. This moment of inspiration, this unplanned moment, this, this simply going with it, right? This willingness to just go with it led to one of the most successful campaigns in, in, in all of history. And our, our scripture for this morning, I think, begs us to consider what discipleship might look like if we were to just go with it. Not carefully judge each step, not calculate every risk, nor determine whether all of our words are even grammatically correct. Our text comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's, it's Matthew's 10th chapter, verses 40 through 42. And I invite you to open your Bibles at home. I, I invite you to, to open up the app and go through worship resources and, and open the Bible uh, there and, and open to Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Jesus, speaking to the disciples just before they are sent out, says this. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward." Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, our scripture this morning, I believe it reveals three things about all of our roles as participants in God's work here in the world. First, that though we are different, we are all of us connected. Second, that though we are different, we are to be united in one 
purpose and that though we are different, we are all called to participate. Years now of of political divisiveness, of growing disparity between the impoverished and the wealthy, racial tensions, and now quarantine have led us to a distinct and pervasive sense that, that we are a divided and even isolated people. And yet our scripture this morning, our scripture this morning opens up by reminding us that though different, we are, all of us, connected beyond, or, or rather even perhaps above, being left or right, rich or poor, black or white. Jesus opens our passage with this powerful and profoundly important statement. Read with me again, verse 40. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Now, in order to better understand why this statement highlights our interconnectedness, we we need to define the Hebrew word shaliach. In Jewish law, in this culture where, where Ju- Jesus is speaking, uh, a shaliach served as a legal representative. Uh, and this legal representative could, could perform a number of legal roles. For, for example, a man or a woman might appoint a shaliach in, in order to buy or sell merchandise on their behalf. A shaliach may take the legal role of, of a father or mother in caring for the well-being of an infant or a child. And in this way, the shaliach stands in for whoever it is or whomever it is that they are representing. It's it's as if the person they are representing is actually there themselves. It's this. It's this Jewish understanding of shaliach that underpins verse 40. Jesus says, whoever welcomes you actually, in reality, welcomes me because I am sending you. And whoever welcomes me actually, in reality, legally, welcomes God. Who told you about Jesus Christ. Perhaps it was a parent. Maybe it was a a co-worker or a friend in college, a friend from childhood. Maybe maybe you grew up in the church and, and, and it was a multitude of different influences and teachers. Whoever it was that told you about Jesus was told by someone else who was told by someone else who had been told by someone else. Which goes all the way back to these first disciples who were sent by Jesus. And all of those intermediaries stand as shaliach, as representatives of God 
speaking to you, speaking to me. All of those who have received the gospel then are linked one to the other because they welcomed someone who welcomed someone who welcomed Jesus Christ. Eugene Peterson's The Message is a paraphrase of the Bible. Rather than um, a translation like we read today in the New Revised Standard Version, The message seeks to capture the essence of what a passage is saying. And and, and Mr. Peterson's, or I should say the late Reverend Peterson's, um, paraphrase of, of this passage begins in this way. He writes, We are intimately linked one to the other in this work. Can we just pause today and consider that? That we as believers, as Christians, we are all intimately linked in this work. You are intimately linked to your Christian brothers and sisters because you have welcomed the one God, the one that God sent. And that supersedes whatever division you perceive, but calls us also to break down those barriers which separate us down here. We are in the truest fashion united first in our welcoming of Jesus Christ. Now do not, do not confuse unity with a call to sameness. We, we are different but we are united in the one who called us and in the purpose we are called to. Peter Singer is a philosopher and professor of bioethics at Princeton University and and is well known for the following thought experiment. And and this thought experiment is used to argue that that well-off people have a moral obligation to help those in less fortunate parts of the world. And the thought experiment goes something like this. Imagine that you are on your way to uh, some kind of party. You are dressed up. You have on perhaps some, some new shoes, uh, uh, a nice pair of pants or, 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 or shirt. Um, you've gotten yourself ready to go. And you're on your way to the party and you're walking through a park and you come across a child. And this child has has fallen into a body of water and appears to be struggling. You quickly look around, thinking, surely someone is is here with this child. There there is a parent or a chaperone, uh, some kind of caretaker. And and it becomes quickly apparent that it it is just you. And it's just the child. And you have a decision to make, whether or not, right now, to go in to save the child and sacrifice the, the new shoes, the, 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 the new clothes that you're wearing, or to move on, to continue on to the party as though you never saw the child. Now, m- most people would say that 
that choosing to move on, choosing not to help would be monstrous, right? You, you can't compare a child's life with, with being on time to a social gathering or uh, a pair of new shoes, now you see, this, this thought experiment is effective because it appeals to something deep within us, this shared value which supersedes politics and wealth and, and race. It appeals to a shared ethic that human life is valuable, right? Now within the kingdom of God, there is another ethic which supersedes those things which seek to divide us down here. And that is the sharing and spreading of God's good news. That is the loving of God and loving of neighbor. So let me ask you this. Does the way in which you communicate with your fellow believers, those Christians around you. Does it illustrate that point clearly, that, that your purpose as gospel spreaders supersedes all else? Or do you allow the divisions of the world to color your perception of the other? Now, friends, understand that the question was, was not how do others speak to you? How are others communicating to you? But rather, how are you communicating to others? Are you doing so in such a way that it is evident that your love of God and your love of neighbor supersedes all that which seeks to divide? One of the compelling and challenging portions of the text is, is that it is clear that we are each called to participate. Jesus shares that even a cup of cold water given to one of these little ones participates. As if to say, you may have limitations. And if all you can do is provide a cup of cold water to another disciple of mine, then do it, because I can use even that. The passage, however, does not say all you have to do is give a cup of cold water. You see, this passage is not an invitation to minimal participation, but rather an invitation maximizing our responsibility to participate. Hear that again. This passage is not an invitation to minimal participation, but rather an invitation maximizing our responsibility to participate. And so how is God calling you to participate? How is God calling you in your uniqueness to lend a hand into the building of the kingdom of God right here in Fort Lauderdale? Dorothy Weaver, a New Testament professor, writes that there is no task greater than the task that you are called to. 
What is your cup of cold water? Perhaps you are a gifted teacher or communicator. Perhaps you've been given a gift of, of friendship, of, of hospitality, of welcome. Maybe you have a gift of, of generosity. God has, has blessed you with finances and the ability to give in ways that others can't. Maybe you have a gift of prayer, of the ability to focus diligently on what it is that, that God's people need the ability to, to, to sit down and to focus and meditate and discern in ways that others can't. How is God calling you specifically to build the kingdom here? There is, however, a, a task that I believe we are each called to in our differences, perhaps in spite of our differences, and that is that we are each called to share the cool, refreshing, life-changing gospel message of Jesus Christ. And this can be intimidating. We can feel as if we don't possess the words, right? I'm, I'm not a gifted communicator. It, it, that's not something that God has, has given to me. But what this, this text begs us to understand is that, that we can share the gospel with the confidence that we are standing on the shoulders of all who come before us. Thomas Howard is a, a, a British professor and author. And, and in his book, The Chance or the Dance, he writes this acknowledgments section, uh, as many authors do, right, at, at the beginning of his book. But, but I believe that that these couple of sentences, they, they can be informative to us and, and a source of encouragement as we consider our role as, as Christ's emissaries. So, so hear these words. Howard writes, while there are not footnotes in the following pages, it will be perfectly obvious to many readers that a hundred acknowledgments are due to Charles Williams, J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and T.S. Eliot. If there is anything here which makes sense, it probably derives from something which one or another of these gentlemen has said somewhere. Any woolly-mindedness and bad workmanship are mine. In his characteristic, self-deprecating manner, Howard hits on the truth of what it means to share the gospel. It is that we needn't feel the burden of inventing the good news for ourselves. But rather, we are simply called to share the good news that we have been given. How is your life different because of what God has done? How has your life changed because of who Jesus is? How have you grown because of your understanding of what God has done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? 
share that. That's what it means to share the gospel, and that is what each of us are gifted with the ability to uniquely share. Because friends, if you have already welcomed the one, then you have been sent out. One of the other roles that the shaliach was able to carry out in Jewish culture was, was that of the invitation to marriage. A, a person could appoint a shaliach to propose marriage to someone on, on their behalf. And a person could accept a marriage proposal through a shaliach. Thus, a shaliah served as the intermediary for the initiation of marriage. This legal representative served as the intermediary for the initiation of lifelong relationship. Friends, you and I are tasked on behalf of the risen Christ to go into our neighborhoods, to go out into our community, across all lines of division that humanity creates. To be Christ's shaliach. To offer the initiation of eternal relationship with the one who sent us. A relationship that is forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, as you go out today, as you go out into the community prepared to share what God has done in your life, go. Go out with the gift of the Holy Spirit, with the light of Christ which goes before you. And now may God's peace, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds and keeps them safe in unity with Christ Jesus, both now and in the life to come. Amen. Go in peace.